Welcome. We have mentioned many times <clears throat> that Rashi, in his commentary on the Torah, does not usually discuss the reasons for mitzvahs, unless it is necessary. When, would it, when might it be necessary? Well, sometimes the Pasuk itself tells us the reason. So in such a case, if there is something to clarify about those words, which tell us the reason, Rashi will certainly clarify. Also, there are places where we can say that Rashi felt that understanding the reason for the mitzvah, citing the reason for the mitzvah that Chazal perhaps give us, will help us to understand the pshat and the pasuk. So there, as part of Rashi's task, as part of Rashi's project of explaining the pshat, he may uh, bring in, he may cite the reason for the mitzvah. But other than that, generally speaking, Rashi's not, uh, not interested, quote unquote, in the reasons for mitzvahs, in his commentary on the Torah. Of course, we've also pointed out that we should not make the mistake of thinking that, according to Rashi, mitzvahs don't have reasons. Um, there is such an opinion which the Rambam mentions in Moira Nebuchadnezzar, and he very vociferously disagrees with that whole idea. We shouldn't think that Rashi is one of those people who had that kind of an idea. And the, the biggest proof is, is that Rashi sometimes does tell us the reasons for mitzvahs. So it doesn't seem logical to say, <clears throat> at least to my, to, my, uh, to my taste, it doesn't seem likely to say that Rashi felt that 95% that of all mitzvahs have no reason whatsoever. The 5% where he explained the reason, those are the only few mitzvahs that have any reason. Uh, to me, it's much more palatable to say that Rashi felt that really all mitzvahs have some sort of a reason. That maybe some reasons are more accessible to the average human being than the other, but they all have some sort of reason. Only, usually, Rashi didn't discuss them because they're not part of what the Pasuk is saying. And his job is to explain what the Pasuk is saying. Sometimes Rashi did discuss them, but the general principle is mitzvahs have reasons. Now, in addition to all of this, I would like to, uh, I would like to claim, I would like to uh, suggest that even where Rashi does not give the reasons or the reason for a mitzvah, we may use Rashi's general understanding of the mitzvah in its halakhic aspects and his general understanding of the Torah in general to suggest certain reasons for the mitzvah. Now, in order to do this, we need to engage in a two-step process. Um, this process, I have heard it described many times by uh, Rabbi David Gottlieb, Gottlieb of Yeshivas or Sameach, and that is as follows. We can find in the Torah various values. We can identify various Torah values. So we identify a certain value that the Torah has, for example, chesed, emes, etc. Those are values that we uh, find many places in the Torah. The Torah is for them. We can find certain other values that the Torah is against them, such as idolatry and cruelty. So we can identify a certain Torah value, and then we can suggest, using our, our good sense and our good intelligence, we can suggest that a certain mitzvah 
is designed to promote that value. To say that a mitzvah is designed to promote some value that you read in the New York Times or that you heard about walking down the street, that's, that's really not appropriate. But to say that a certain mitzvah is designed to promote, to inculcate, to further the cause of a certain value that we clearly find in the Torah, that's, that's much more likely. A very uh, simple example of this, uh, of this process would be uh, the Rambam's approach in Meirin to the whole, to all of the mitzvahs of Korbanos. What is the, what is the purpose of Korbanos? When you think about a Korban, uh, we learn about it, we learn the halachas, do this, do that, slaughter it, catch the blood, throw the blood over here, throw the blood over there. But what's it all about? What are you accomplishing? It's not so obvious what you're accomplishing by all of that. The Rambam says that the idea is that the people in ancient times, before the Torah was given, were very attached to idolatry. And a major feature of idolatry was korbanites. They brought sacrifices to the gods. And they were very attached to this way of serving the deity. And if, and if a Kaddish Baruch would have come at Matan Torah, and totally forbid to us all of these, all of these uh, activities, slaughtering sacrifices, throwing their blood on, a, on an altar, and burning incense, and, uh, and so on. If Hashem would have completely forbid that to us, because it's associated with idolatry, it would have been too difficult. We would not have been able to make that immediate sharp turn. And therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu said in his Torah, you may, I will allow you to continue your habit of bringing korbanos, but it has to be for me. And it has to be done specifically in this and this way, only in this place, only at this time. And I'm going to limit it. I'm going to put certain limitations on it, but I'm going to allow you to do it. Now, that is a very controversial opinion of the Rambam. There are those who disagree very forcefully. But what's the process behind the Rambam? The process, I think, is this two-step process. The Rambam identified a value in the Torah. Obviously, the opposition to idolatry is all over the Chamisha Chumshe Torah, not to mention uh, the, all the Sifrei Neviyam Uksubim. It's all over the place. It's a very obvious Torah value. And therefore, he said that the mitzvah of Korbanais is designed to, to oppose to uproot that, that thought from our hearts, but to do it, according to him, to do it in a gradual, in a gradual way. Okay. In this week's Parsha, Parsha Shoftim, I'd like to discuss two mitzvahs, or at least two halachas, uh, about which Rashi does not give the reason. But I think if we look at other psukim and look at other Rashis, we can identify a, a Torah principle, a Torah value, which will help us to understand the reason behind these two mitzvahs or halachas. Let's begin with the very first pasuk in the parsha. Shoftim v'shoytrim titen l'cha v'chol shorecha. Judges and shoytrim are, I would call them court officers. These are officers who can enforce the rulings and the authority of the court. So judges and court officers, titen l'cha v'chol shorecha, you shall give, you shall appoint in all of your gates, 
meaning in all of your cities that Hashem, your God, is giving to you. Lishvatecha, to your shvatim, we'll talk about this word soon. And they will judge the people with a righteous and correct judgment. We'll, well, we'll see all the Rashi here, at least most of them. Shoftim v'shoytrim. Rashi says, Shoftim ha'dayonim ha'poskin esatin. The word shoftim refers to judges who decide the law. They decide, do you have to pay? Do you not have to pay? Are you, uh, do you have to uh, undergo a certain punishment? Do you not? The shoytrim, what are the shoytrim? Haridin esa'am achar mitzvah They rule over the people to follow the commandment of the shayfta, meaning they enforce the law. Rashi explains, shemakin the koifsin, the makel of They They hit and they tie people up, either with a stick or with a strap. Until the person accepts upon himself the ruling of the judge. Okay, that's, uh, for our purposes, that's uh, it's important, but it's not our main point. Now we come to our focus. In all of your gates means so you should appoint judges and court officers in every city. To your shvatim. Now, what is that? Musav al titen lechor. Rashi says this word refers back to the phrase titen lechor. You shall give. Or you shall appoint. Shoftim v'shoytrim titen lechor lishvatecha. Judges and court officers, you shall appoint for your shvatim. V'chol shorecha, asher Hashem alokecha neisem lechor. In all of your cities that Hashem, your God. Is giving to you now. Rashi at this point has kind of dealt with it in a technical way, but he still hasn't really told us what does it mean to appoint judges lishvatecha for your shvatim. Now he's going to tell us lishvatecha This teaches us that we appoint that we must appoint judges for every shevet for every particular tribe and in every city. Now, if you're wondering what that means, you're in good company. Ranban also wondered what that means. Let's begin with Ranban quotes the Rashi, and then he raises the following question, which I have outlined in green. Ranban says, I don't know the explanation of this thing. Well, what does this mean? That you give, that you appoint um, judges for every shape it. The Ramban says, since we, uh, we appoint a base din, we appoint a, a, a court in every city, so so automatically you have a base din, you have many different for every shavit. If I'm going to put a, a base din in every city, well, that comes out that in, in the land, in the territory of every shavit, there's going to be many different but they did. Every Shevet has within its ter territory many towns and cities. And if every town or city of a certain size, let's say, has a base din, so then every Shevet has a lot of Batei Dinim. So what, is, what does the word Lishvatecha add that we don't already know from the word, from the words Bechol Sheorecha? That's Ranban's question. Ranban gives essentially two answers 
The second answer has a lot of details to it, but it's essentially two answers. The first answer is, that's outlined here in blue, is that if there is a city which is occupied, which, is, uh, which has in it two different shvatim, says like, for example, Yerushalayim had in it both Yehuda and Binyamin. And there were maybe other cities that at least maybe not at the beginning, but maybe after some time, there was some movement. If you have a city which has people from two different shvatim, so then we must appoint within that city two different batidim. If you have a city that has uh, some people from Yisachar and some people from Dun, so then there has, there has to be two batidim in that city, one for the people of Yisachar and one for the people of Dun. And Ramban goes on to say that he sees this in a Gemara in Sanhedrin of Kufiralov. Then the Ramban says another answer. It is possible to explain Perhaps what the Pasuk is telling us is that we have to appoint a base din which rules over the whole shape. It's sort of a supreme court of each shape. Shevet Reuben has its quote-unquote supreme court and Shevet Dun has its supreme court and so on. And this Shevet wide court will judge over all of them. Now here, Ranban goes into detail exactly what is going to be the function of this supreme court of each Shevet. Now, each city has a base day. So why don't you just go to that base then? Why do you have to have one grand base in over the whole shaven? By the way, in halacha, in Lahavdil, in, in, uh, like in American law, there's such a thing called a court of appeals. If I have a dispute with you, let's say regarding some, some money, if I go to the, the one of the lower courts and we we present our cases, and the judge says that uh, I am uh, I am obligated. I must pay you five thousand dollars. Okay. If I want, I can appeal. I can bring it to a higher court. Of course, the higher court doesn't have to hear the case. They they have to. I have to first present to them some sort of argument that there was something unfair or mistaken about the first uh, judgment. But there is such a system that I can go to a higher court. In halacha, you really don't have that. Um, this was an issue when they first established the, uh, the chief rabbinate in Israel in, in the 1930s, I believe it was, that uh, the, the, the chief rabbinate was going to have what they did rabbaniim. They were going to have rabbinical courts in each city, but they were also going to have what was called a beit din le'irurim, which essentially was an appeals court. Uh, there were many uh, great Tamil chachamim who said, wait a minute, this is that's not the way it's done. Uh, you can't. You can't just. Uh, if you don't like the judgment in, in your local based in, you're not allowed to just bring it somewhere else. Anyway, that's parenthetical. So, so, but the Ramban has got to explain what is the function of this grand based in that each shevet has. So he explains it with four different halachas. He proposes four different functions for this based in. First of all. This grand base din can compel people from anywhere within the Shevet's territory to come and judge before them. If the base din sees fit, 
they see that a certain case is very important for whatever reason, they can send hasmanas, they can send uh, summonses to the two uh, litigants, and they can force them, they can compel them to come before them. Number two, Ranvan says that if there is a, a litigant who, who wants, he can say, I refuse to judge, I refuse to have my case judged, except by the great base debt. Let's say Ruben wants to bring me to base debt because he feels I owe him $1,000. If I want, I have the right to say, the base din hagadol azilma. I only go to the base din hagadol. I refuse to go anywhere except to our Shevet's highest court. Number three, Ramban says, that if the lower courts, if the local municipal courts within a Shevet, if they are stumped, if they cannot come to a decision about a certain halacha, so then they may bring it to the Supreme Court to the supreme based in of their shevet. And Ranban says that this supreme court of each shevet has the power to make takonas, to issue various decrees, to, to decree various laws, which will be beneficial to the people of that shevet. Those, those takonas will not be binding on people from another shevet, but they will be binding on this shevet. Okay. What we see in summary from both Rashi and, and from the way Ramban understands the Rashi is that a person who needs a base din, a person who's going to be judged, who's going to present his case to a base din, always is judged by a base din of his own shape. Except in certain extraordinary cases that might go all the way to the Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim, which is not uh, uh, exclusively his shaped, but the basic, the basic system is that if I am a member of the Shevet, uh, Shevet uh, Menashe, any time I go to Beistin, it's going to be in a Beistin of judges who are all members of Shevet Menashe, and so forth for each shaven. The obvious question is, why? What's the reason for this Allah? Is it because uh, people of a different shape it wouldn't be fair to me? No. And what if, what if I'm a person from Shevet Menashe and I have a claim against uh, another person from Shevet Menashe? So, and the judges happen to be from Shevet Yisachar they're, they're, they're going to be equally un, unfair to both of us. It's, nobody's gaining any advantage. So why is it that, that Ranban here is understanding, and Rashi is he's saying it as an explanation of Rashi, why is, what is the reason for this halacha that cases are judged normally, almost always, by a based in of one's own shape? Okay, we'll leave that question on the table. I'd like to go to a second mitzvah, or a second halacha. Later in the parsha, parsha Shoftim, we have what's called the parsha's Amelach. The Torah tells us about appointing a king over Klai Yisrael, and it tells us some of the special laws that apply to the king. And the parsha begins, the parsha begins as follows. Saim tasim Melech, you shall place over you a king, asher yivchar Hashem elokecha bo, that Hashem your God will choose. Mikerev achecha, 
from amongst your brethren, from amongst your own people, you will place upon you a king. You are not able, meaning you are not allowed, to place above you a foreign person, who is not your brother. It was not uncommon, even until recent or fairly recent times, that a country would import a king. Sometimes there was no one really worthy of being the king, no one strong enough, no one with enough military prowess. And it was not uncommon for a country to bring in a king from somewhere else. I believe that the, uh, I have to verify this, but I, I believe that the, the British royal family really has its uh, roots in Spain. You have to go back many, many centuries. But even they say, you know, someone speaks the king's English. The king's English is not so English. Not, not all the kings, the kings originally weren't from England. The Torah commands us that when we have a king, it must be, he must be mikerev achecha. He must be from among your brothers. He must be a Jew. And here also, we can ask, what's the reason? Now, there is one very interesting reason that is discussed by Rashbam, by Rashi's grandson. The Rashbam says that if you will appoint a king from another nation, he says, Hu He will entice you to do idolatry. All the other nations in the world were idolaters. Only Klai Yisrael served Hashem Echad. So if you're going to bring in a king from another land, there's a very big uh, possibility that he may influence you to do idolatry. That's an interesting reason that the Rashbam says. First of all, we see here the two-step process that I spoke about at the beginning. Rashbam is looking for a reason for this mitzvah. Doesn't just make up some reason from his own uh, from his own belly, as they say. It's not a boichsvara. It's not an idea that comes out of his belly. It's an idea that comes out of a Torah value. We know that the very important value in the Torah is anti-idolatry. Therefore, he uses that value to help us explain this mitzvah. Of course, it's not obvious at first glance that this mitzvah has anything to do with idolatry or opposing idolatry. But Rashbam makes that connection, finds a value in the Torah, and he connects it to the mitzvah. It's a good reason. One could ask that who says that every foreign king is going to seduce us to do a Vaidazora? There's such a thing as a righteous Ben Dayach. There's such a thing as a non-Jew who follows the Sheva Mitzvah Ben Dayach and is very scrupulous in avoiding any kind of idolatry. Um, how many, how many people are there like that? I'm not sure how many were there at any time, but there is such a thing. So why would it be us to choose him as a Melech? I'm not saying that's a big kashif, but it's, it's a question. In any case, I'd like to identify a reason for both of these mitzvahs from a different angle. Again, the two mitzvahs or the two halachas that we are discussing here is Number one, that a person is always or just about always judged by a base din of his own shevet. That's a requirement in the Torah, certainly the way Rashi and Ramban understand the Pasuk. 
And number two, we may only appoint a king who is a fellow Jew. And so I'd like to go to a Pusik in Parshish Hazim, because as I've been saying all along, we need to identify some value in the Torah, which we can then suggest is the reason behind these mitzvahs. So what value do we find in Parshish Hazim? The Pusik says, Aloy Halashem Tigmaluzais. Will you uh, bestow, will you pay back HaKadosh Baruch Hu with this? This is a question mark, exclamation point. This is a, a tmiya. This is a wonderment. Is this how you're going to pay back Hashem? Am naval You disgusting and unwise nation. Meaning, are you going to pay back HaKadosh Baruch Hu by disobeying him, by doing idolatry, by doing all kinds of other Sins? Is this how you're going to pay back the Kodesh Baruch Hu? Isn't he your father? Konecha. We'll talk in a minute what the word Konecha means. He made you. And he established you. So he's the one. He's your father. He made you. He established you. Is this how you're going to treat him? You're going to treat him with, 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 with disobedience and with and with all kinds of behaviors that he doesn't that he doesn't approve of and that are inappropriate, how could that be? Let's see Rashi. Now, what does it mean, Konecha? So this is a very interesting Rashi here, which we're not going to go into deeply, but very interesting. Rashi first says, Konecha is like the word Kono. He purchased you, or he he made you. We have a kone shema. We have the phrase kone shema Hashem is kone the heavens and the earth. Now kone can mean he bought. Obviously, Hashem didn't buy the heavens and the earth in the local uh, uh, whatever in the local store, but it means he made them. Because he made them, they belong to him. So kone acha, he purchased you. Now Rashi continues and he explains it now a little bit differently. And he nested you in a nest amongst the rocks, meaning he put you in a beautiful, safe place. You're sheltered by rocks around you. You're like in a little nest that is sheltered. And he placed you in a strong land. So Rashi so far has said that Konecha is related to the word Kona, he purchased you. It is also related to the word ken, kufnun, which means a nest. And now he's going to say a third idea. Shetikencha, he was misakin you. He established you. Bechomine takana, with all kinds of takana, all kinds of establishment. Rashi seems to be saying that it means all three of these things at once. How is that possible? That's for another time. A very interesting Rashi. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he... he uh, he has established you and, and, and protected you in all different kinds of ways. Let's continue in Rashi. What does it mean he made you? Rashi says he made you a nation amongst the other nations. He made you into a nation. And he prepared you or established you. Rashi says after, after he made you into a nation, he then established you. The Basis with all kinds of basis and 
chen. The word chen is is really the probably the the, the proper Hebrew word for basis. Basis, you see, it's like exactly like the English word. I would guess it's a, a loan from either Greek or Latin. But chen is really the Hebrew word. So Vayichoneneka, he gave you a basis. Now, what does that mean? A Kodesh who gave us a basis. Mikem Kohanim, from you yourselves come Kohanim. Mikem Nevi'im, from you yourselves come prophets. Umikem Milochim, and from you yourselves, from you yourselves come kings. Meaning, the Kohanim of Klal Yisrael are part of Klal Yisrael. We don't import holy people from some other nation to uh, perform the service in the basinic. No, for this world who provided us with our people who are spiritually and physically qualified for that service. And we don't have to import Nevi'im to, uh, to tell us uh, what to do and to predict the future in certain cases and to guide us. No, for this who gave us people who are qualified to be Nevi'im. And we don't have to import kings. We have our own people who are strong enough and virtuous enough that they can be good kings. Sometimes we ended up not with the best kings, but we have within us people who can be good kings. Rashi concludes, We are like a big city that everything is hanging in it, meaning we're like a big city where everything's available. New York City, no matter what you want to buy, you could get it. They once said the only thing you can't get is clean air. But other than that, everything's in New York City. Everything is in, in London. Whatever you want, it's there. You don't have to go find it somewhere else. We see here a, a value in the Torah that Baruch Hu gave us as a nation everything that we need and that for us to go looking for it elsewhere would be a, 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 a denial would be a kriya would be a a, a non-acceptance a non-recognition lack of recognition of the goodness that he bestowed upon us that's what the pasuk is saying is this what you're going to do to Hashem Hashem who gave you everything that you need as a nation from your own you don't even have to import. It'd be nice if, if you had the means, let's say you had enough money, you could, you could import the kings and prophets and, uh, and priests that you need. But no, we don't even have to pay for it. We have our own. Hashem provided that for us. So are you going to, are you going to turn around and, 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 and misbehave in front of Hashem? That's, that's, that's a lack of a Korosatoiba. So we see here a value in the Torah that we need to appreciate the gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us, that he has made us into a nation that has everything that it needs. Now, that certainly can help us understand the second mitzvah that we were talking about, that it is forbidden for us to appoint a foreign king. Because to appoint a foreign king would be to, to not appreciate this gift that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us. Here HaKadosh Baruch Hu provided us with people who could be good, strong, virtuous, effective kings. 
that's a that's a that says in the Torah that says in the Torah that a Kodesh Baruch has done this. We're going to go and port some king of Spain to come rule over us. No, that's also we can say using our two-step process that that is the a reason. I'm not going to say it's the reason, but that is a reason why we are forbidden to appoint a foreign king. What about the other mitzvah that we discussed, or the other halacha, that every shevet has its own base din, and normally, when a person is judged in the base din, it is always by a base din of his own shevet. <clears throat> there also, I think we can say <clears throat> that just like Kal Yisrael <clears throat> has been provided with everything it needs, each shevet also has been provided, at least in terms of based in, it has been provided with what it needs. It doesn't have to come on to some other shevet. It is the glory of each shevet that it has its own dayanim. And they should appreciate that. And they should establish their own based in. And they should take basically all of their judgments to that based in, except with certain uh, limited exceptions. Everything goes to the, the local based in, which is staffed by their own people, or to the based in a bottle of their own shape. That's if you're from Yusufa, those are the those are the judges you're gonna have 99.9% .9 of the time. That is part of the, the pride that each individual shape is supposed to have, and that is part of the appreciation for a Kodesh Boraku who has provided for each shape people who are worthy of fulfilling that, that role of being judges for that shape. I think we see here a, a very important point. It's a point that I think people know and people feel it sometimes distorted, but that is that one should be proud of one's shape. Now we don't really have Shvatim anymore. Kahanim and Levim, yes, we know or at least strongly assume that uh, we are descended from the original Kahanim and Levian. Everyone else uh, is probably from Shevet Yehuda, but there are other, or Binyamin, but there are other Shvatim mixed in. We really don't anymore have a, a clear knowledge who is from which Shevet. But we do know which Ada we are from. I mean, we know there are Ashkenazim and Svaradim, and there are Syrians and Persians and Polisha and, and and Litvaks and Germans, and one should have a pride in one's shevet. Of course, having pride in one's shevet doesn't mean to look down on all the others and to be disparaging towards them. No, we're all one nation. There's, there, there's plenty of, uh, plenty of uh, agreement between us that we can all be friends, but it is not inappropriate to be proud of one's, one's group, of one's shaped. Anyway, this is uh, two examples of how we can identify a value in the Torah, and we can use it to at least suggest how to understand certain mitzvahs in the Torah.